Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of Opera After Dark. a little bit differently today. Actually, this will affect no one that's listening to it, but it is very early in the morning for us. Well, for one of us, it's very early in the morning for Kyle. (laughs) Right, right. The things that Kyle does for this podcast, it changes art. It it actually will change the quality of my voice. That's right. You have a a slightly more bassy tone. Very raspy. (laughs) The sound of my voice. (laughs) <laughs> it's the best though if you want to sing uh, some low notes that's true that is true right speaking of low notes did you watch jesus christ superstar live last night <laughs> no did you i did and it was a shocking surprise to me when the camera panned over and norm lewis walked onto the stage what and i was like <laughs> oh my god it's norm lewis and then he opened his mouth and he I forget the name of the character, but he's the one that has like all those crazy low notes in it. So he opened mm. his mouth and I was just like, Norm Lewis should sing everything. He sounded like a million bucks and really? I was very excited what did you to think see him. Overall. <clears throat> I mean, it was good. The thing about it is because it's a through composed piece of music that they can kind of get away with like not really acting that much. Um <laughs> And it worked. It worked fine. And John Legend sounded really good for the most part. And um, nice. because they filmed it in Williamsburg, a lot of the casts were made up of Broadway actors. And I think you can really tell the difference. What were they on? Like a soundstage in Williamsburg? <clears throat> they built a stage, I think, in some sort of warehouse nice. or something in Williamsburg. And there's the cat. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the other part of the different. The different element of today's recording is that you're at Elspeth's place, which means that Henri, the greatest cat in the world, is making his opera after dark debut. Yay, buddy! What is his, uh, <clears throat> what's his Instagram? Um, on Rizzle Nizzle. <laughs> at on Rizzle Nizzle. Yeah, make sure you get that <laughs> spelling right. You don't want to, don't want to mess that up. I don't know where it would take you if you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed the live... <clears throat> Some of those, they can really be hit or miss. And actually, generally, they're not that great. It was definitely yeah. the best one of these that they've done. Oh, really? So far. Even better than... Uh, I thought Hairspray was, was actually pretty good. Wait, I mean, I don't know. I, th- I thought it wasn't that bad when I watched it. It was a while ago. That's fair. But I think the thing about it was that... I mean, with the exception of John Legend, he was really good, and that part's really difficult. Everybody in it was either a Broadway actor right. or had been on Broadway. <laughs> like, Sarah Bareilles was in Waitress for a really long time, which she also wrote. And <laughs> So, like, you could tell these are people that, you know, do this for a living. And Everybody so <laughs> had actually been in a show. 
been in shows and understood what it was like to perform musicals in front of a live audience and it it really makes a difference <laughs> gosh well good the production was weird though it was a lot of leather and tribal tattoos but really it was like someone who was older decided that this is what the kids look like these days so <laughs> everybody was dressed like that's funny uh, well whatever well that's fun so uh, it was fun so what are we talking about today, uh, opera-wise? Oh, right. We're not talking about Jesus Christ Superstar Live today. <laughs> um, Naomi is actually going to take us through the life and times of the Mendelssohns. Mm-hmm. Mendelssohns. And first, we're going to start out uh, with Fanny, right? That's right. So this is another installment of our Badass Ladies yeah. series or theme of episodes. Really? She's a badass? She was a badass, yeah. So we're going to talk about Fanny today, and then in next week's episode, we're going to talk about her brother, Felix, so that you kind of get the the yin and the yang of the Mendelssohn siblings. I'm glad that we're talking about Fanny first. Don't a lot of people say that Felix, like, co-opted some of her music and said it was his? Totally. He did. We're going to talk about that. Oh, cool. All right. So to give you a sense of, like, where we are in... In history, um, mm-hmm. yes. For those of you listening, I am, I am doing this. My notes will be moved one-handed because the cat is being petted with the other hand. So, yay, buddy! <laughs> so you can get his purr on the on the podcast. So, um, yeah. So the Mendelssohns, to give you a sense of when they lived in terms of history, uh, Fanny was born in 1805, and she was the oldest of the children. I think there were four of them total um, although I'm not sure if all of them survived uh, into adulthood Um, and so they were born she was born in Hamburg and the the family generally uh, ended up moving to Berlin and so she was born in 1805 and then her brother was born a couple years later and so she was the oldest and wait so Felix Felix was born a couple years later or just like the next sibling Felix was born a couple years later. I think he's like two years younger than her. Mm -hmm. Um, They were born into a Jewish family, but because of the kind of political climate at the time, the family, I think before the children were born, they had like converted to Lutheranism. And Mm -hmm. so uh, they weren't raised Jewish, but people say that Fanny herself like held to very like liberal Jewish um, theology for most of her adult life. Um, But she was not a practicing... She, Lutheran. She was a practice. Well, I don't know if she was a practicing Lutheran, but she was not a practicing Jew. Mm-hmm. Um, and they came from a really kind of important and kind of like socially elite family. And so their grandfather, their paternal grandfather, was Moses Mendelssohn, and he was apparently a big figure in philosophy. Okay. Um, and then the family itself was like fairly wealthy, and so. Their aunts and uncles and, like, the mother and father were very active in salons and that type of thing. And kind of the intellectual circles. All that philosophy money. Right. All that (laughs) philosophy (laughs) money. (laughs) The philosophy train. That philosophy portion. Yes. So, apparently, they started piano lessons at a fairly young age. Uh, Fanny started taking lessons from her mother first. And then, because her mother was also a pianist. And then went on to study with, like, some really important people. Um, and apparently when she was born, her mother took one look at her hands and said, oh, those are Bach fingers. 
(laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? Well, I guess it would mean that she would be really good at playing, at playing, um, J.S. Bach pieces. And this actually did prove to be very true because the Mendelssohn's in general, uh, are kind of both Fanny and Felix and their family were known for kind of bringing back the works of these composers who at the time were considered like ancient or old fashioned. And so essentially, uh, Bach, Mozart and Handel were considered like very outmoded mm-hmm. in like the mid 1800s Germany, right? This is like, you know, peak of the romantic era type thing. And so they would hold salons and concerts in their home where they would like play the works of these great masters. And she was considered an amazing pianist. And actually for her father's birthday, um, when she was a teenager, she memorized all 24 preludes and fugues from the Well-Tempered Clavier by J.S. Bach and then performed them by memory for her father, like for his birthday present. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's the best so, present you could ever give right. me. <laughs> but apparently when that happened, then her father was like, oh, that's very nice, dear, but you should not think that you're this means you can be a concert pianist because like women are do not perform in public so <laughs> right like, don't get any wise ideas it's like, oh <laughs> right? this is so nice oh it's so cute oh right look at you look at you uh, and so and so to that end apparently she only made one public performance in her entire life like everything else really? even though she was considered a virtuosic <clears throat> like very kind of child prodigy pianist basically every other thing that she did perform was always like in a salon in the comfort of their like living room for a small collection of personal friends and guests um she only performed once in public and that was for a charity event and it was when she was an adult and she performed the piano concerto number one by her brother so oh yeah (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure that happened all the time though imagine how many great yeah i mean it might just be yeah it might just be that we just don't know about fanny is the one that we know about yeah right and i think the interesting thing about fanny and felix mendelssohn generally is that we still don't know a lot about the nuances of their both their relationship and her composing because essentially the vast majority of her compositions like the manuscripts are kept in private collections that the people that own them just will not let people see them Hmm. and so we know that she composed like around 500 different unique compositions but we only have a handful of those that are actually published because the vast majority of them are in these private collections that the owners for whatever reason don't want the works published or made public so Yes, Uh, we'll get to more of that in a moment. Um, But she had this extremely close relationship with her brother, even though like both her brother and her father were fairly, I would say, repressive in terms of what she could actually do as a woman and as a musician. They both discouraged her heavily from publishing her compositions. And it is true that Felix published several works by Fanny under his own name. And so there's this great story where uh, on one of his tours, which, of course, Felix got to go on these like European tours to perform and compose and learn. And Fanny did not. She had to stay home and like be the perfect marriageable young lady. Churn Um, churn some butter or something. (laughs) Right. Churn some butter. I think they were pretty wealthy. So I think I think that she she was was more like 
Yeah. She was she was not a butter churner. She was like a, a host <laughs> a salon and cross stitching and that kind of thing and right. poetry mm-hmm. recitation. Mm-hmm. Um, so Felix went on one of his trips. He actually went to Buckingham Palace and he met Queen Victoria. And uh, Queen Victoria said to him, "It's such a pleasure to meet you. I'm so honored. Like this song by you is one of my favorite of your compositions." And then he actually admitted to her. Oh, I didn't compose that. My sister did. Um, Do you know what song it is? We can definitely find it to okay. play. It. I don't know the name of it off the top of my head, but this is this is the song that Queen Victoria loved, and Felix kind of sheepishly admitted to her that he did not actually compose it, even though it was published <laughs> under his name. <laughs> to it right can you imagine like he's like turning red like, you right. know, like in the queen's <laughs> presence oh so. you like that do you <laughs> yeah so do i so do i so much so i i published it under my name even though it wasn't me i'm surprised um, that there weren't people that were like um i don't know that noticed subtle differences between what he actually composed and what she composed i mean I'm sure at the time some people would have known. Today, there's like a lot of scholarship that talks about this. And well, so. At the time, how would they have known? Because she didn't perform. Did she like <clears throat> publish under her own name? I'm sure she didn't. She only published under her own name once, or and it wasn't until her adult, like until she was actually married herself. Mm-hmm. And um, she did this like directly against the wishes of both her father and her brother. And she published a collection of songs, I think, under her own name. But her husband, like, really strongly supported her composing. So their story is kind of cute because he was a a court painter, Wilhelm Hensel. And apparently he, like, met her and saw her. And then, but he was a nobody when they first met, he and Fanny. And then he, like, went away for several years to become established. And then once he was, like, established enough as a painter... He came back to where they were living and he was like, I want to marry you. And so they had this like multiple year courtship 
and like really deeply loved each other. And then once they got married, the story goes that like every morning he would leave manuscript paper and a pencil on a music stand for her and with a little note that would say like, I want it filled by the end of the day. So, yeah, that that is really nice. That's cute. He would go off to paint and she would go off to write, compose. But then it's interesting because apparently her letters like reveal that she was not a very confident composer. Like she basically would send things to her brother for him to see. And if he didn't think they were good, then she just felt that they were like absolute like trash. And so she really needed his approval for everything. And in one letter that she wrote to him, she said to Felix, like, if you tell me that I'm not a good composer, like, I will believe you and I will just give up music forever. Ah. Um, but it's weird because he was like, no, you are a good composer. You just shouldn't do it publicly because that's unacceptable. And apparently he would send her all of his compositions and he would, like, write her things, like, look at this great idea I had. And he would, like, write it out in a letter. And then she would, he trusted her implicitly for her opinion and she entrusted him like they reciprocated that feeling even though he was so unsupportive of her public musical life so okay. yeah probably yeah. works like out a lot to unpack there yeah <laughs> it works out great for him because then he has yeah. this great collaborator and like no worry of competition or anything like that exactly so and then the other thing that people talk about is so there's this other a good example of this there's a piano sonata that she wrote called the easter sonata apparently she wrote it like the year after beethoven died Mm -hmm. and so this would have been a huge deal especially in germany at this time i think she was living either in berlin or in leipzig by this point and like beethoven was huge in germany by the time he died in like germany austria generally speaking he was hugely respected he was like this this monument of a composer and almost nobody wrote piano sonatas for several years after he died because it was considered that like Beethoven mastered the form who could possibly do it better than Beethoven. (laughs) Good luck. And so, but within a year, Fanny Mendelssohn wrote her own piano sonata and called it the Easter Sonata. And there's proof in her letters that she wrote it. She like performed it herself alone at home um and then you know played through it and was like this is this is actually really good and i'm really happy with this composition and she sent it to felix for him to see and then the whole manuscript was just over time got lost and eventually ended up in this collection or library in paris and in the 70s like somebody in paris discovered it and the authorship was labeled F. Mendelssohn. So they were like, oh, this is Felix, an undiscovered Felix Mendelssohn piano sonata. So they had it recorded and released and published in the 70s as like an und- a newly discovered Felix Mendelssohn piece. Then it all basically disappeared again into it. The manuscript was bought by a, or went back into a public, private collection. No one saw it. And then, um, about a decade or so ago, there was a musicologist who was studying the works of Fanny Mendelssohn and like went on a hunt to find this manuscript for the Easter Sonata because she suspected that it was by Fanny and not by Felix because like listening to it, she heard traits of Fanny's style in the Easter Sonata. And so apparently she went to this, the owner of this manuscript and like begged them to let her see it. And it ended up that like, the page numbers on the manuscript itself, because it was just a manuscript for that piece, Mm -hmm. exactly matched missing pages from one of Fanny's 
books that was in like another library elsewhere Mm -hmm. so it's like someone literally took it out of this portfolio of hers out of this notebook and it ended up in paris somehow but then um so there's like proof definitely that it was from fanny's notebook and she mentioned it in her letters and it was written by her but apparently people were so incensed by the idea that fanny could have written it because it was like apparently really masculine sounding and aggressive and what is that even I don't know. We should listen to it so you can hear what it is that people thought was so masculine sounding. But apparently the person or there was a person in one of the archives where this was once held who was so against the idea that Fanny could have written it that he refused to let people see it because he didn't want people like propagating this theory. Like that person has since is since no longer in charge of this archive. But, <laughs> um, you know, in like the 70s and 80s. Responsibility. It was like there was this big thing that people didn't want Fanny's works to or the works of Fanny and Felix to be reassessed under this new idea that perhaps many of the works attributed to Felix could be of could be Fanny's because they felt that the style was too aggressive and it couldn't possibly have been written by a woman. One description I read was someone said it was too aggressive and muscular sounding. (laughs) What does that even mean? you need to be too muscular to play the piece. So <laughs> right. I just really don't love the idea when people assigned um, <clears throat> like a stereotypical gender characteristics to music. Just because something is delicate does not mean that it's feminine. Just because something is like strong and muscular does not mean that it's masculine. And that like really irritates me. Right. To like associate genders with specific pieces of music. Oh, for sure. Especially since like social conceptions of gender evolve and change over time like things that portray a certain gender like the castrato voice is a great example that you know there was a time when that was considered extremely heroic and masculine sounding and then there was a kind of evolution in how people viewed that timbre of voice and then suddenly like the tenor chested tenor became like the most masculine sound and Mm -hmm. so and now i would say that that there's even a different conception now. Like, I do think that the tenor is considered a very heroic masculine sound, but there's other things that we also consider kind of socially acceptable or socially accepted as masculine sounding things. And so I think it's ridiculous because it essentially means that women can only create things that are like lyrical and gentle and, you know, it's very restrictive for both, for both sides. Does that mean that if Felix created something that was lyrical and sentimental, that it was too feminine to be his composition? I don't know. Well, I'm sure no one ever said that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, Felix. Oh, he's so sensitive. This is great. Right. Right. He's yeah. got such depth. All right. We should, list, we should listen to some of this Easter sonata. Okay. We should. And actually, fun fact, one of... Fanny's like great 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 granddaughters was basically responsible for getting I think it's the BBC to like air it a performance of it for the first time with it attributed to Fanny so yeah
random question. Mm-hmm. Is Fanny short for something, or is her first name Fanny? I I did not find any short form. I think it's Fanny. I've only Fanny. known her she as was Fanny. Na- she has a great aunt named Fanny as well. Mm. So I think it was like a family name. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that, do you think, in a, so she, in a German speaking household, what do you think the pronunciation was? I think. I know that's a random question, but I, I don't know. It's just not a name that you hear very often now, so. I think like. Fanny. Well, I don't know where the, where the emphasis would lie, but Fanny. Yeah. Okay. I wonder if all of the siblings had F's, F oh, names. I don't know. Felix, Fanny, Frederick. Well, Frederick. To to kind of friends Felicia. bring this full circle. She so, Fanny and Wilhelm Hensel, they did have one child. They actually had two, but I think one of them died at birth or was stillborn. Mm. So their only surviving child was a boy, and she named him um, Sebastian Ludwig Felix Hensel. <laughs> So like nerd. That's a lot. A lot, right? <laughs> like yeah. She was totally a nerd. Fanny Fanny Hensel was a, a nerd because it's like she named him and she said in her diaries that she named him Sebastian after Johann Sebastian Bach. And I don't know if Ludwig was Come her Beethoven on. or not, but Come it seems on. kind of obvious. I, Beethoven, yeah. Right? Um and, and then, then Felix brother. obviously is because of her brother. Right. So So did Fanny I guess we don't know this for sure, but did she have aspirations to be a composer and make money as a composer or was she content with the fact that she was a woman and this was what she was supposed to do so she's just gonna write because she enjoys it and that'll just be the end of it i feel like she was never really even given the opportunity to have that dream for herself Mm -hmm. and she didn't need to compose for money like her family was quite wealthy and then she married when she married Hensel, he was pretty established as a, like, so they were never, from everything I read, they were never hurting for money. So I don't think she needed to compose or publish as income for her family. So it wasn't like Clara Schumann who was supporting right. her family on her salary. And weirdly, so Mendelssohn, Felix Mendelssohn, lived in Leipzig for a large chunk of time, as did the Schumanns at the same time. Hmm. And... Felix was very supportive and good friends with Clara Schumann. And he like supported her public composing and public life as a musician. So it's kind of weird that like on record, Felix Mendelssohn supported several female composers and performers at that time and kind of championed their work, just not his sisters. Yeah, that's like a weird relationship, it sounds like. Yeah, some people think that both he and his father were aware that Fanny was probably the superior composer and musician. Right. And because they intentionally, like, suppressed her work so that she didn't detract from them or from him. That is bullshit. I mean, it's just a theory, but it seems like there's... I'm believing it. ...has a little bit of legs, I think, so... (laughs) Did Fanny ever write... An opera? No. She did not write an opera. No. She did write some large stage works. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote an, or she, I think she tried her hand at like oratorio and some other things that were larger than salon right. stuff. But most of her works are salon works. And then like the sad thing is like, why would she even try these larger works? Because she literally had no venue ever to have them performed. Right. Maybe if she thought they were good enough and Felix liked them, he could have just co-opted them himself to get them performed. Maybe. I don't know. 
Okay. Maybe she was like, it's more important to me that the works get done rather than I get credit for it. I guess so. She seemed to like have this intrinsic need to to compose and be a musician, like even though her works theoretically would have never seen <clears throat> the light of day or like the public eye, like she did it for herself, composed for herself. Um, so that's, yeah, it's a little bit strange, but maybe that's, it's possible that she thought if it was good enough, Felix would publish it and that would be her, like living vicariously through Felix. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I could but, see a situation where it like helped her composing by knowing that it was just like for the love of it, you know, or mostly yeah. for the love of it. Right. So there's no pressure. Yeah. I mean, when she did publish, she published a collection of songs mm-hmm. um, and she actually wrote to Felix and said, like, I'm doing this even though you don't approve. But by that point, <laughs> she was married oh, good. and was kind of like, I'm doing this because I, I want to. Um, and... So, and by this point, she was living in Berlin, and I think Felix was living in Leipzig, so, like, there was distance between them. But Mm -hmm. it's weird, like, they had an extremely close friendship as siblings, like, they exchanged extreme amounts of letters, Um, and apparently he was, like, very, very close to her right up until the point where he got married, and then, then when he got married, he kind of, like, loosened his grip on her a little bit, Mm -hmm. Um, but... Until that point, he was, like, extremely involved in her life. Um, And they remained very close. And then I think when she died, and then I think he died six months later, and they both died of a stroke that was apparently, like, a hereditary thing that, like, their parents both died of this, um, and, like, this particular type of stroke. Their grandparents died of this type of stroke, so... And they were young, like, in their 30s. So, oh, really? Or, or young 40s. Like, they were not old, because she was born in 1805 and died in 1847. So, yeah, she was, 42. like, 40, 42. 42. Yeah. And Felix was even younger than that, so... But her music is really beautiful, and... She's known for not only like contributing this huge opus of works by a fem- as a female composer and woman at this time, um, but then also like reviving the works of all of these other composers, um, Bach, right. Mozart, Handel, that type of thing. Um, and so apparently, if you look at her style, you can see the influence of Bach in her style. Also, like it's a little bit more lyrical than Felix. Um, and apparently it was like extremely structured. And so I think Felix was too, but like it was, you know, complex composing. It wasn't just like salon popular songs. Mm-hmm. Um, does, and does she have like a number one most famous song? Well, the cycle or one of the things that's really famous that she composed was, um, when so she did travel a little bit and she i think it was to rome and actually while she was in rome she met goethe and apparently she had like a bewitching effect on goethe and like (laughs) it was a young goethe and so he kind of cites meeting her as like a turning point in his artistic life Mm, okay um young goethe and yeah and so (laughs) she published this uh collection of songs where it's kind of like following her year traveling. And so they're all different themes based on like where they were, that type of thing. Um, Oh, and then she also published, I can't remember if this is the same one or one of them, like her husband painted 
like illustrations for each song as Aww. well. And so it was kind of like a collection of songs and paintings that went together. And so these are considered like, you know, something that she actually like owned in her lifetime and like claimed as her as her own. What was the name of that uh, that cycle? Let me find it. Right. So the, I think the things I was describing are the, are the same. So this is her most famous cycle of pieces that depicted the months of the year. She called it Das Jahr. It was composed in 1841 and it was written on different colored sheets of paper and then her husband illustrated some, like a painting for each song. Um, and it kind of outlined the year that she spent in Rome with her family. Um, and so... It's considered one of the greatest unheralded piano suites of the 19th century. So we should listen to some of that. The the movements are, there's literally one for every month. January is a dream. February's scherzo. March is agitato andante. Uh, April is a capriccioso. May is spring song. June and July are both serenades. August is an allegro. September is called at the river. October is another allegro. November is Mesto, December is Allegro Molto. And then she wrote like a postlude or a chorale that kind of sums it all up. So yeah, we'll listen to some of that. We're just getting into April, so why don't we play out to some April from Capriccioso. Capriccioso from Mm. Dacian. Well, thanks folks for listening to our talks of Fanny Mendelssohn. Yes, and join us next week where we talk about her. Her asshole brother Felix. <laughs> das Bruder. Das, das Bruder. Das Bruder. All right. Well, make, make sure you find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and at operaafterdark.com. And I'm Kyle. I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. Bye. Bye.
What? <laughs>